what does it mean to be great? And how do you know if you're great? Shakespeare once said, uh, some are born great, others achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Are you one of them? Are you great? What are you worth, and how do you know what you're worth? Are you valuable? All of us have an answer to this question. Maybe we never thought about it, but our behaviors would tell us the answer that we have to this question as to what makes us great. And there are lots of answers out there in the world for you. A lot of ways that this idea of greatness gets sold to the masses. For some people, it's materialism. That's what makes them great. Are you wearing the right clothes? Sporting the right brands? Do you have the nicest house on the block, or are you driving the newest car on the street? Do you have the new iPhone 15? Some of you know that doesn't come out until September of 2023. I was trying to see if I could make anyone nervous this morning. Like, wait a minute, you got one? I don't have one. I'm an Android guy. How do you know you're great? For others, it's performance-based, right? What have you achieved in your life? What did you get on last week's uh, math exam? What have you built? What's the highest position you have achieved within your organization? I think a lot of folks in the uh, football world operate on this principle. In, in preparation for this sermon, I was looking at greatness quotes, found a couple of quotes for, from some uh, football players. Uh, there's one from uh, Jerry Rice. If you remember him, he was a 49ers receiver, one of the greats. Jerry Rice said this. He said, today I'll do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. J.J. Watt, uh, initially drafted, I think, to the Texans. He was a, a, a pretty impressive defensive end. Now he plays on the Cardinals. J.J. Watt has said, greatness is earned, not given. And Maybe it's unsurprising that these two fellas would operate on a performance-based idea of greatness, considering that they are two of probably the most elite physical people in the world. Makes sense for them to call that greatness. But how do you know if you're valuable? Are you great? Just as we have our answers to this question today, so they had it back in the time of Jesus, back in the time of Paul, in the time of the church of Corinth. Jews seek wisdom, and the Greeks look to the wise. Right? For the Jews, it was uh, signs, miracles, and wonders. This is how they knew that their Messiah would come. The Jews told their stories, right, of their heroic God and His acts in days of old. How God ripped the heavens open and dumped the floodwaters upon the world in the days of Noah, showing His strength, His greatness. How Yahweh went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh in Egypt, 
plague after plague, sign and wonder after wonder, rending open the Red Sea so his people could come through, and caving the waters in over Pharaoh's armies, showing them who was truly great. Even David, their most beloved king, their most beloved Mashiach, anointed one. He was the one that slew Goliath, right, with just a sling and a stone. Miracles, signs. This is what they came expecting of Jesus when, when he purported to be the Messiah, the Mashiach, the king. So they asked him to perform signs and wonders. If you do them, then we'll believe. Jesus, once in Matthew 12, responded to them. He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his death. That's not the kind of Messiah the Jews wanted. They didn't want a Messiah who was weak, they wanted a Messiah who was strong. And so when Jesus was up on the cross, they said to him, if you are the Messiah, take yourself down from there. They didn't want a Messiah who could die, who was weak and frail. The Greeks were a different breed, and they were cut from a different cloth. Not so much signs and wonders, miracles. They were all about wisdom, knowledge. That's what made you worth something. They've been that way for a long time, centuries before Jesus showed up. Uh, The Greeks had risen from the Dark Ages in about the 6th century B.C., and then came Plato and Aristotle and the discovery of how much we can uncover with our minds. Human reason. Oh, how much is it capable of? What can't it show us? What can't it discover? Biology, astronomy, math, science, all of these built upon the Greek wisdom. There's a fellow, Lightfoot, I think his name is, mathematician, present day. He said that all of uh, Western philosophy is a footnote to Plato. Even our society today, built upon the amazing things that Plato discovered. And so the Greeks reveled in wisdom because wisdom brought life. Understanding about the universe enhanced our human experience. It gave us things we never had before. It showed the reach of humankind. But a cross? Death? Shame? I mean, that's barbaric. That's foolish. Where's the wisdom in that? And sure enough, the cross remains a sort of foolish thing. Talk about it with others. You'll feel weird. <laughs> I did this week. But it's into the world of all of our strivings that Jesus and his cross stand boldly out of place. 
Who has believed what he has heard from us? Said Isaiah. A cross? Death? Shame? Keep in mind that this was a device designed to bring about the absolute uh, most humiliation possible on its subject. Right? This was a torture device designed by the Romans to squell any sort of rising up, any sort of Messiah figure. In the time uh, of Jesus in the first century, the cross was uh, even told by the Roman government it, it was something they were not supposed to talk about, not supposed to think about. It was shameful so that it would squash any movement of anyone who was found upon its wood. Shame, a gruesome death, humiliation. This is how your God wins? Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles and still an offense today to all of our strivings for greatness, all of those many ways that greatness is sold to us in the world. The cross grimaces its utter defiance against the ways of this age. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? We never would have drawn it up like this. This is not a God we would have dreamed of, a God that we would have conjured up. You know, the kind of God that we would have conjured up would have been Captain America, right? Iron Man who comes into the world to, to exploit the evils and conquer them, who leads with, with righteousness and justice, and is not half bad looking either, you know, Robert Downey Jr. And as he goes about spreading the good news of his kingdom, he would be praised by the world, of course. Why not? He's a hero. He's what we needed. He's what we wanted. That's how we would have drawn it up. We, we would have had them going to the Super Bowl to win this grand victory, 100 to 0, a blowout against all the enemies, all the oppressors. That's the kind of God that we dream about, that we write up. But it's not the kind of God that we get. Instead, we get this God, a God who had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. A big wonder. The cross is hard to look at when we see it for what it is, because it's not the triumphant victory we were hoping for. 
It's not the affirmation of all the goodness about us that we always believed in ourselves. The cross tells us something different. You can't look at the cross and not see how marred the world is, how wounded the spirit of the world is, the spirit of this age, how, how marred and wounded I am. Well, the cross can get you down. There's a reason why Easter, Good Friday, right? That's, they're not, what, what they're Christers. What, what, what would they be, Crydays? Yeah, they'd be Crydays if they came to Good Friday. When we look at the cross, we see what we have done. We see that the problem is much deeper and more profound than we wanted to admit. And thanks be to God that this is the God that He gave us instead of the God that we dreamed up. Can you imagine what that would have been like if Jesus had come like yeah. I mean, Think about it. Think about if, if Jesus, this man, comes from God who... who trounces around, conquering all of his enemies, right? He lives the perfect life. He follows God to the T. He's got the righteousness and justice, and, and in his wake is left all of his enemies. He's done it all right. And then he says, follow me. Are you kidding me? You know what we would be doing if we tried to follow a God like that? We'd be doing what we do all the time out there when we're striving for greatness. We'd be worrying, right? We'd be panicking. We'd be wondering constantly, had we done enough? I mean, that's how all of these greatness rubrics of the world work, right? Uh, Think about the materialism one. There's a reason they call it keeping up with the Joneses, right? Because the Joneses are always... Moving ahead. Uh-oh, honey. They're redoing the garage down the street. We got to find something to work on at our house. They're going to they're gonna oust us. Oh, do you see Jerry? He's driving that new, uh, I don't know, pick a car. That's, I don't know anything about cars. He's got a motorcycle. That's really cool. I got to get a new car. I'm going to be ousted. Isn't that how it works in the material world? You gotta, you gotta look the part. You gotta dress up right. Otherwise, you're not as good. You're not as valuable. You're not as worthy. Who cares what you have to say? Think about the performance aspect. I mean, don't we do this in our jobs? Don't we worry about our performance at work? Now, I'm not saying treat your job like it doesn't matter at all and don't perform. I'm, we'll get to that at the end. But what I'm saying is we can get real nervous about our performance at work. We can start to think that, oh my gosh, if, if I show up and I'm unprepared and I, what if I present it and it goes horribly and they see through it, right? That's what we're, that we're worried about. They see through it to me. And they realize I'm not as great as my resume made me sound. The folks over at the, I don't know what they call that, HR center, whoever helped us write my resume, the student work center, they jazzed it up real nice for me and I'm not as good. I'm not cut out. They're seeing through to me. What happens to the NFL player who in his second year has a career-ending injury, never even got started? 
I guess greatness is thrust away from Him. If Jesus would have come in our models of greatness, we would have been worried all the time that we've never done enough. See, when we see the cross, we're aware that we put Jesus there. It makes us utterly aware uh, of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own condition. But what it never tells you, not once, is that you have to do anything, live up to any set of standards in order to attain the mercy of God. That is a gift to you. And to think otherwise is to follow every other religion out there, whether it's a secular religion of greatness, like the ones we've talked about, or whether it's the other major religions of the world. Judaism has its rubric. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God, the Torah. Keep that, and you know you're right with God. You know you're in. Fail to keep that, eh, you better work on yourself. For Islam, it's the five pillars. Keep those five pillars, do those, and you're in good with God. Make sure you're, you're praying the seven times a day. If you start to slip, eh, I'm not so sure if you're still in. Instead, Christianity, well, it's upside down. It's different. It's backwards because you know what the foundational principle of Christianity is? You want to know the requirement? Be perfect? No. Have a fully functioning family and marriage? No. Have a tight rein on your speech so that you never say the wrong thing and offend people? No. Always be smiling? foundational principle of Christianity is the cross. It's the admittance that I don't have it together, that God has revealed a moral code, an ethic to live by, and I have not lived up to it. Far from that, I'm not perfectly following it. I'm I'm not even just a little bit in need of God's help. I don't need God to come in and, and make me just a little bit a better a person. The cross tells me that I am more screwed up than I ever thought I was. It took that to save me? God had to stoop that low because of my condition? Our problem is far deeper and more profound than just a little help will do. You know what else the cross tells you? It tells you how great you are. The cross tells you that you are more flawed than you ever dared believed, but you are more loved than you ever dared hoped. Do you see the lengths that he was willing to go? Your God! Do you see the depths that he was willing to to find himself in to meet you? Do you know that you're great? Look at the cross. Do you think that you're great? Look at the cross. And if there's any shred of you this morning that is saying, I know that I'm not great, 
I don't think I'm great at all. I don't think I'll ever be great. If you have even a shred of that this morning, I want you to hear what God says to you at the cross. See, God says, I do see through to the real you. And I love you. I want you to walk with me. I want to know you. I want you to be yourself with me. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to hide. You don't have to put on a show. Not for me. You're my beloved. I love who you are. And I will do anything for you. I will do anything to have a relationship with you. I want to know you more. It's what God says to you at the cross. And that's why it's so beautiful. I mean, isn't that odd? That we get all these songs and hymns about the beauty of the cross, you know? This place where a guy was beaten up, bloodied, scarred, killed. We say, oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross. It's because in, in the cross, Christ met us in our ugliest state. And so we don't have to cover up anymore. We don't have to pretend that we're better than we know the reality to be. We don't have to hold on to all these other things to make us feel better about ourselves or to kind of hide those parts of us that we know are flawed because God sees us exactly how we are and yet He still accepts us. And do you know how freeing that is? If you don't, Think about your behaviors. Think about what it is you might still be grabbing onto for your worth. Do you find yourself panicked, running around, worried about this, that, and the other thing? Because you will be if your idea of greatness runs according to any of these other rubrics. But as soon as you know this, as soon as you know what God thinks of you, well, it starts to change things. It's not automatic. It's not like the next day you're going to be just feeling the best all the time. You have to work at this. But listen to Paul, right? Paul, he boasted about his weakness. He wasn't worried anymore about the world, what the world thought of him. It gave him supreme confidence to face any challenge of his life. It's the same thing that gave Jesus confidence to go to the cross. He knew the Father's love. He knew his greatness in the eyes of God. So Paul gets that at the end of our reading. He wants his hearers to understand. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, but maybe some of them were. Corinth was a, a, a rich port city. There were probably wealthy businessmen and women in that congregation. They're included in this. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. What does this mean about our strivings out there? We still have to leave here and go into the world. I mentioned earlier, this doesn't mean that we just 
you know, kind of kick back and say, well, nothing matters because God loves me. So I don't have to try, I don't have to strive. No, it just means you redefine these pursuits, right? Proverbs 9, uh, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Know what your peak is. Know what it means to be great. If he is the basis for your understanding of greatness, build on that. But if he's not, any other basis you have is going to lead to your death. It's going to lead to your ruin. I mean, just look at history, honestly. If you want to look at uh, 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 this play out, think of humans, humanity's attempts to create utopian societies in history. And you will find some pretty dark things because they didn't begin with the fear of the Lord. You, you redefine them. So you, still, so you still strive. You don't throw this stuff out. Um, you still care about how you look. Material things, do those matter still? Yes, I used to think they didn't. I was really proud of this. Living in Denver, Colorado, I wore my big baggy cargo pants everywhere and my stained t-shirts. You know, it's kind of a forget you to the world. God's not calling us to look disgusting. Uh, it's okay to clean yourself up. It's okay to wear nice things. The cross doesn't nullify, but why? Why am I dressing up? Is it so that I know that I'm worth something? Is it so that I know I'll impress the room? Or is it because I want to reflect how God looks at me? Your performance, your performance still matters at work and at school. Apply yourself. God has given you your mind. Use it. Use the reason. We do benefit from all of the things that science has come up uh, for us. The cross doesn't nullify that. It just redirects us. And so you know that goes for your walk with God too. Your performance as a Christian. See, if you find yourself feeling close to God when you're reading your Bible and praying and living a, a somewhat moral life, but then you feel really distant and bad in those seasons when you're not, and you feel like God is so far from you, performance is the thing you're going off of, not the cross. God is no more distant from you then than he was before. Maybe he's closer because he's always there, always there, even in your dark spots. So we don't nullify these things. They go together with the cross. We leave here today. We go back out there. We go back to our striving. But while you're out there striving, remember what makes you great. Remember who calls you great, and remember why. You don't have to earn his love. And your, your good works are an outflowing of his love, not an uh, uh, acquiring of it. And when you feel most distant and maybe even most disturbed about what you find in your life and yourself, remember that's when you are actually closest to the ugliness of the cross. And run there, my friend. Run there to the one who will remake you out of the nothing that you find yourself in. And just maybe we'll discover, if we do this, that today we can do what others won't because of what he has done for us, because of what he was able to accomplish in his striving on our behalf. And maybe we will discover that greatness is given and not earned least in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you